The mechanized operation of the modern food service industry has been built around marketing dollars doled out to those who choose to take part in its destructive practices with promise of accolades and monetary success. In the shadows remain champions of morality, fighting towards a future for our planet through their practices, disregarding the egoic pull of self-serving honors. Rick Mullins is one of these soldiers. From his shoebox kitchen inside a museum of contemporary art in Kansas City, Missouri, Rick tirelessly champions the use of local products and centuries-old techniques to provide accessible cuisine year-round which embodies its locality. Today on Cocina Pirata Podcast, Rick joins me to discuss how his life shifted to become a champion of local prosperity and the challenges we face in battling the institutionalized practices which are driving us further from homeostasis. Contra la muerte, nosotros demandamos vida. Contra el silencio, exigimos la palabra y el respeto. Contra el olvido, la memoria. Contra la humillación y el desprecio, la dignidad. Contra la opresión, la rebeldía. Contra la esclavitud, la libertad. Contra la imposición, la democracia. Y contra el crimen, la justicia. Word up. So, Kansas City. What's going on in Kansas City, brother? Going on in Kansas City. Spring's going on in Kansas City. It's, uh, God, it's so nice right now. This is the best time of the year here, in my opinion. Uh, you know, we go through a pretty rough winter in, in Kansas City. So whenever we hit springtime, it's just the whole city just wakes up. It's it's crazy. And our last our last week of winter, or last couple of weeks of winter, it was like negative 25 Fahrenheit here. So it, it was rough, man. We were ready. So Kansas City's coming back to life. That's insane. What's the, is the weather? Would, is the weather like similar to Chicago? I've never been to Kansas City, but I've driven through Chicago during colds, during the cold. And I'm from Vermont, so I understand a little bit. But it's like similar to Chicago, would you say? Um, it gets hot. I think hotter here than in Chicago. And then uh, Chicago gets a little bit colder because it's further north. But it, uh, you know, we had a pretty mild winter. You know, it kind of hung around 30s and 40s. But like yeah, it's always in February when everyone's just like at the at their wits end and are just really over winter here. And uh, usually February blasts us with the coldest weather, the most snow, and all that. And then you know once you get around April, that's you know things really start warming up here. Uh, so it's a little bit warmer than Chicago, but we have we have some pretty rough extremes here. Do you like Do you like the winter? No, I hate it. <laughs> it's, it's the worst man uh i can usually hang until about january you know my wife and i always make sure that our trips are uh in february obviously and you know well in 2020 right before uh covid like became a, a deal here in the states like uh we had we went to mexico and spent a couple of weeks there and uh when we came back two weeks later is when everything shut down. So, uh, you know, we were still in a weird position in February. So we haven't, you know, traveled as, as per, you know, privileged as a problem as that might be, <laughs> but yeah, 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 you know, February is really our time that we try to travel and we always try to go somewhere warmer because it's just when everyone's spent, there's burnt out on winter. Yeah. You get that, that winter thaw and it's super necessary. I, I, the funniest thing is that I've now lived, I lived in Los Angeles for, when I, when I left home, when I left Vermont at 
at 18, I moved to Lake Tahoe and I lived like the winter li- snowboarding life. And in Colorado, I lived in Colorado for a while as well. And, and then I moved to California and I, now I miss, I, I miss the winter actually. But now that you're explaining it the way you're explaining it, uh, I don't really know how cut out I am for that shit now. <laughs> all I have to say, all I have to say, it was negative 25 here. <laughs> like it was negative That's insane. 25. Yeah. That's insane. Ice, snow, people driving, just it's, it's a mess. It's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing to witness. It's amazing to look at, but it's incredibly difficult to navigate your day-to-day life when you have ice and snow everywhere. And, you know, it, it certainly makes things difficult here, but it's, uh, you know, if you're from here, it's something you're used to, but we're seeing a pretty big influx of people coming from, you know, around the surrounding areas, the more expensive cities, you know, are starting to migrate towards Kansas city, you know, and not everyone's cut out for winter weather, man, or, or, or living in winter weather. So yeah, it's interesting, but that's a, it's beautiful, but I I get over it rather quick. So (laughs) yeah, I heard that's, it, it, it seems like an interesting place. You know, Billy, I, it's crazy that, you know, Billy, I met Billy in Denver years ago and even in years ago, Billy was telling me, um, he was, I think at the time he was looking at buying a house there. He had, he was living in Denver for a brief period of time. And he told me that Kansas city, like there was a lot of, that it was, that it was coming up. There was a cool food scene happening there. There was a cool art scene starting to happen there. And that, um, and that there was a lot of cheap real estate there. So I imagine how is that grow? I mean, this must've been five, six years ago is, is, it more than that probably shit eight years ago is is kansas city now becoming or has it evolved in that in that period of time much more like you said you feel a lot of people are coming there now from bigger cities um do you see a lot of growth happening in kansas city yeah there's there's two sides to it yeah yes you know we are seeing an influx of people um and you know it's kind of nice to to see it coming up like this we yeah you know i think how do i explain the city it's it's a weird place man yes we have a lot of people coming in you know it's definitely sucking the soul out of the city though uh you know not not to get you know too too political or anything but the gentrification in the city makes it um I don't know. It, it takes a lot from it. The city was an artistic city and it was a food driven city long before, the, you know, expressions of culture were viewed as, you know, uh, you know, the po- popular thing to do like uh, restaurants in Kansas city. Like we had a Mexican restaurants early, early on to accommodate immigrant workers building railroads here, you know, uh, jazz music, blues music, you know, it's huge in Kansas city. So it's always been a, a culturally expressive city. Um, and I think that there's a lot more recognition for that now, but it's coming at a, at a, at a price, you know? Um, yeah. The racial divide in this city has been deep and, you know, it's happened, it's been happening, you know, essentially from the inception of the city. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's getting worse or better because of this, but my, my guess is a little bit worse. You know, I'm starting to notice a lot more white owned businesses moving into predominantly black neighborhoods because of the cheaper, uh, because of the cheaper real estate and stuff like that. But even the real estate starting to get really high here. 
you know, so it's a double-edged sword, man. I, I, you know, I really, I like having people move here. I, I, you know, I like to be influenced by as many people, as many cultures, as many whatever, you know, as I can, but it's just interesting to watch like all all of that kind of get pulled away from the, the urban core of the city. Yeah, I lived in the actually that's, when I was li- that's a pretty long winded response, but I uh, I sorry I had it on mute for a second, but um yeah uh, no that was a perfect response and I and I um I feel that I lived in Denver at the beginning of what would have been its most recent gentrification. I think gentrification always starts with the arts. And I've had this conversation with a few people. So I feel like first the artists move in and then the wealthy move in because art is cool. And I hear, and I, and I completely understand what you're saying. I I watch it happen here in Mexico. And as you know, this is a, a big problem in Mexico. When people with money move in, of course, it's cool. There's culture. There's a lot of things going on. But the divide, like you said, you know, there in, in Kansas City, it's a racial divide, I'm sure, between uh, blacks and, and what Latinos exist there and, and, and rich white people, affluent white people. And here in Mexico or in Denver, we saw the same thing happen. Um, there's just not a lot of fostering of that of, of that culture that existed there by those who are moving in because they're moving in for those cheap prices and they believe that they're going to make the city something that it wasn't before. And so, yeah, it's, it, it, it is a double-edged sword and it's super difficult. Um, do you find yourself, I, 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 I want to get into a bit also talking about, you have a really fucking cool job, um, probably something many chefs wish they had working at a, is it a natural history museum? It's a contemporary art museum. Con- oh, a contemporary art museum. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So good. Either of those would be so, cool. <laughs> so anyways, you're at a contemporary art museum. Do you find that you're in a position to be able to foster, like what, what I was just explaining, do you find that you're in a position to help foster um, help foster the the community, the, the, the endemic, so to speak, community that is there from what's moving in? Do you feel like that's a, a responsibility that you're, you're able to take on your, your shoulders a little bit? I, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's weird because, you know, this goes back to where, where you're saying about, you know, money and art. It's naturally money follows art, you know, it's, yeah. It's a, it's art. Some expression in general has become a, a, a wealthy person's game. You know, uh, I think food um, isn't much different in the United States. Fine dining or finer dining, what, whatever the, whatever the fuck that means. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> you know, because uh, I think it, I, I enjoy eating in nice restaurants and I enjoy that. I don't care for the atmosphere or anything like that. So I get a little dodgy with the fine dining thing, but even, even music is a rich, is a rich person's game. And I think that anything that's culturally expressive, there's a, a naturally parasitic relationship that people have with that, whether that be, you know, through the people who are consuming or they're the people who are, uh, you know, influencers and stuff like that, you know? So I, I, so it's, you know, go circling back to the question, it kind of, that um, inherent quality kind of makes it difficult to, to, I guess, be, you know, socially championing certain things like that. Um, 
because it almost makes me feel like a hypocrite in a weird way. Um, yeah. What we've done at the museum um, is I've dropped the prices on all of our food to never really exceed 12 to $13. And uh, wow. yeah. And we don't play either. You know, like we, 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 we want to give people the same food experience that you would in a, a fine dining environment or you know, a nicer dining environment, but we want to keep it completely loose. And we want that accessibility to be there for every single person in our city, you know? Um, yeah. You know, I, but how to reach out, you know, outside of the demographics that t- typically attend museums, um, you know, is a difficult, it's difficult. And the museum itself is t- taking a lot of, uh, measures and strides to to become a a much more inclusive place and have a much more positive impact on our community um so you know i think that that we're kind of trying to make make that happen um you know it's really just getting past the the facade of of what dying is in the united states you know it's not yeah it's it's become less of a communal thing and less of a you know less of a of something that you know people take personally and invest themselves in and you know I, I don't know it's become more of a just a shit a shit show a show for everybody you know and so it, i don't know man it, it's hard yeah I, I i i struggle with that shit every single day i wake up in the morning and in and I've been trying to, like, I write a little bit too. Like I've been writing on Medium and releasing some thoughts and I've been struggling with this like open letter to the to the industry that raised me essentially because I started as a young, a young kid. Like I started at 13 washing dishes and that's my experience. And I never went into, um, I never went like the fine dining quote unquote route because I didn't want to be subconsciously influenced by something that I could never connect with because that's not how I was raised. Like I wasn't raised with the money to go to fucking Michelin star restaurants and shit. And now, and even, even in those days, those fine dining establishments, you still had to work and you still had to put in the effort, but it obviously was like a bit, um, a bit affluent. No, you had to be affluent to take part in that system even. And, and you're right. It is, it's there is no other way to explain what's happening other than it's a fucking shit show. And if you care and if you try to speak out and you try to do things that 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 will move us back to the way it was, making it communal, making it, it all those words that you use to describe it, um, you you will get pushed aside. I mean, I I I have the hardest time with that. I think that just sticking to the guns of championing those. Um, those those morals is important and it's really fucking cool to hear you speak about being able to do that and and being allowed to do that in your position like look going back to that original question about whether or not you're 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 able to 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 put that movement on your shoulders it sounds like you are it sounds like by taking the step to make food um food accessible price wise but not but making the level of quote unquote fine dining, which is the fucking worst. You're absolutely correct. It's the worst fucking description for anything in the world. Um, what is the feedback that you get from your 
team there from the, or, or how does that, how does that, that work out when you present to them like, yo, we want to make this, this dope shit and we want to make it accessible for everybody. Do they understand that? Are you working within a community of people that understand that there? Do you feel like the yeah. culture in, helps you? Um, yeah, no, they have been totally accepting of it. I actually wasn't even sure that they would go for it. Uh, I mean, just because I, before that I had worked and I guess, well, it could be considered a corporate environment, but, you know, it wasn't con considered a corporate restaurant group, you know, it wasn't like yeah. a big monster group or anything, but, uh, you know, that's what, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. They, I never really had the opportunity to make changes like that. And, you know, obviously the, the museum, they would like to make some money. It's not really profit. Everything goes back into the museum. We are, we're a nonprofit. The museum's a nonprofit. Um, so it's not, I don't know. It's weird to explain the dynamic of that to people, but because there's a need to make money to keep things afloat, but it's yeah. not like for profit. Uh, but they were really receptive to it because we're also under the understanding is, is that that's good for the, you know, younger people who don't have as much money. Um, and for the students of the art school that is directly across the street from us, it makes sense. And then the people who do have money that come in will buy more than one dish anyway, you know? So yeah. we're still going to make that same money that we need. We're just going to have the ability to, you know, spread it and for everybody to be able to do it you know though i think the lowest cost like i think we have something uh, like four bucks is like the lowest cost you know so it's kind of uh i don't i mean that's yeah. pretty fucking that that's pretty that's pretty fucking gangster actually i don't think that <laughs> i don't think you can get f water in many art museums in the country for four dollars <laughs> there's like this i don't know there i mean there's a way to make this shit work you know, there's a way to make it where it's not just a total just loss, you know. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like these things need to be made accessible to everyone because like we don't use shit ingredients either, but we source almost everything locally with the exception of seafood. And like that helps us. I mean, it actually helps us keep our price, you know, keep our costs down. Um, so, you know. I decided, you know, it's not maybe as much about, you know, expanding our profit as much as it is making it accessible because what's the, the coveted demographic for restaurants that people really, really want to figure out It's the 20 to 40 year olds. It's the younger yeah. people. That's who you want in your restaurant. Cause well, I mean, you know, this restaurants are, are temporary unless you understand longevity. You know, yeah, and longevity is capturing that younger generation. And you know, these people don't want to go fucking spend one hundred and thirty-five dollars for seven courses of micro food. You know, like <laughs> it's just not. You know, if I'm, I don't know. I, I love doing course dinners. I love cooking like that. I just don't love charging people that much money to do it. You know, it's just it's kind of silly. Um, so. Yeah, and I don't think, and I don't think you have to, and that's like, it, it's super, it's it, it's great to hear you say that using local product is the way that you access a lower price point without losing money because there's a big movement of of 
restaurants and chefs who claim to be working with local product who clearly are not because if you go you're you're 100 right you can absolutely make food accessible and it is not the fucking consumer's fault and that's where a lot of these people place the blame but the reality is that chefs i think traditionally the way chefs think about creating food is that they think about a dish and probably you know i was guilty of this in the beginning until i moved to a rural like very rural area here in Mexico was that traditionally you think of a dish and then you bring all the fucking ingredients that you know you can get from everywhere around the world. And maybe you're going to use something local, but a lot of people talk about cooking locally or, you know, Los Angeles is a big proponent of like farm to table, quote unquote, which is also another stupid term, but (laughs) they say they're, they say they're cooking farm to table, but maybe one of the ingredients in the dish is local, or maybe five of the ingredients on the menu are local and the rest are brought in from somewhere else. So it, it is, that is the fucking key absolutely to keeping cost low. And then, like you said, accessing that longevity in business through, through the younger generation. How does, how does, how does sourcing locally work for you in the wintertime or what do you do in the wintertime to, 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 to buffer? Uh, sourcing in the winter sucks. (laughs) 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 Like, I always said, so we were closed for seven months for COVID. We were closed from, from March to October last year. And it was a trip because in March, you're still getting rid of your sweet potatoes and all of your squash from the winter. And then yeah. October is when all that shit starts. So like in 2020, I, I ended with sweet potatoes and, and squash. And then I picked right back up as sweet potatoes and squash. It, it, <laughs> it sucked, man. Uh, it's, it gets more difficult here. Um, there are a lot of people who do, uh, who, who, a lot of farmers that'll do storage. Um, because I have a tiny, I have a tiny kitchen, so I, I have barely any room to, I can't just hoard stuff in there really. Um, yeah. but we also turn, turn to a lot of preservation techniques, you know, fermentation, we turn to pickling, uh, we make a ton of like jams, we make a ton of, uh, I don't know. We use a lot of our uh, like herbs and stuff like that. We'll load them up in vinegars that we make so we can, you know, have that for seasoning food to make things exciting, um, drying a lot of the stuff. You know, we used to cure things. We don't cure nearly as much. We're also, you know, winter is a time where a lot of people in, like a, like instinctively switch to meat to compensate for the lack of ingredients that are available. Yeah. Um, and we try not to do that as well. You know, sometimes we get caught up in it and that's because we get really, really, really good product from our local farmers like that, you know, meat as well. And, but it's, you know, you just got to figure out ways around it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, use, we end up using a lot more grains, you know, we'll start using uh, things with it and, you know, the pastries and stuff like that. You know, we just try to figure out ways to navigate through it. And usually by about a, you know, mid March, getting into the beginning of April, things really start flowing back in. And by then we're so just like ready. We're just ready to burst, you know? So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, that's what it's funny to, it's funny to listen to you talk about one of the, one of the like hip trends, obviously over the past five to six years has been, has been fermentation and preservation and all of these things. And generally the people who are doing it don't really need to do it. So it's very cool to hear you talk about it as like 
you know, like that's how you fucking survive the winter, bro. That's what that shit's for. And it's not really like, it, then it's not really cool. It's just what you do, right? Like, I think that there's this whole mystique about fermentation or curing or any of these processes that they're like some crazy fucking science that you have to learn. When my grandmother passed away, I found a bunch of her recipes from like 80 years ago. That, and even older than that, that didn't say anything about lacto-fermentation. It just said like St. John's pickles, for example. You know, it's just like you just put salt in the fucking crock and put it away. So it would... When you actually have to use that shit, it's it's it, it, it's cool. That's that's one of the that's one of the one of the unique parts about having to cook through the winter and being dedicated to to your craft and your product. Now is that you get to do some of those cool some of those cool things. How do you how do you manage your your larder, so to speak, in a small kitchen? Do you do you have storage space for those kind of those kind of fermentation projects? Well, uh, no, and yes. <laughs> in any in any corner you can find space yeah yeah it gets it's uh you know i just i just I, we have to be careful the health because of the health department it's you know it's not here in america it, it, fermenting and pickling and stuff like that it kind of it, there's i you know they i didn't even think about that your ass for that shit if you're not doing it right or you don't you're not in compliance with all of the ordinances or whatever that are put in place by the health department. Um, I can go on a whole fucking different deal with that, but I'll leave that. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't think it's necessarily their fault that they're underfunded and undereducated, but uh, yeah, you know, a hundred percent bro. But it's uh, we find, we make do I'll say that. Um, yeah, yeah, and we just we just get as creative as we possibly can, and then eventually everything will makes it into our cooler. Um, it is. Yeah, we had. Go ahead. We 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 had a the last place I was at in LA. I just had I, I got lucky, and and I was consulting on this place, and I ended up staying on as chef for a little while, and we we had to build we had to build something off. Well, they owned the building next door, so we got lucky. We had this like extra little place to store, but it, you got is it pretty. LA was a nightmare f- f- with with the health department. Um, are you got do you, you you have the same issue there? Like uh-huh. you you can't do anything without a HACCP plan, essentially. Yeah, yes, that's for the most part that's true. Um, we did uh, get some a little bit of changes to that, like especially with cryovacuum. Um, cryovacuum is well up until I think last year was was not allowed at all in. Um, without a HACCP plan. And now we can use them for uh, 48-hour marinades. So that's, that's <laughs> the extent of what, where we're at. Um, so, but, so essentially everything that's in a vacuum bag is in a 48-hour ma- marinade when the health department comes. No? They show up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's a 48-hour marinade, bro. That, that two-week ferment that is – but yeah, the bag is so aired up and it is so tight that it feels like it could pop at any minute. It's forty eight hours. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, we don't uh, we don't even have a cryovac though. Like I don't even have room to put a cryovac in there. We've we've got real minimal equipment, uh, but it's you know it's it's what we need. That's how we get by in such a small space is that we just keep the, the shit that we need. Um, yeah. Until next year, I'm going to try to get some cool shit like a freeze dryer and stuff like that. And then just try to f- figure out where to put everything. 
but uh, when did when did you start? What, what's your what's your what's your we're, we're a, a, a bit in, but we'll we'll let's go back to the beginning a little bit. What's your what's your story like? Where did you start, and how did you get into the position that you're in now? Oh. Just speaking of like the stripped down, this will all come for a full circle after because the stripped down kitchen for me, like I have worked in, you know, I've got like 23 years now in the kitchen. I've worked from fucking everywhere from like 500 cover restaurants to small restaurants. And now uh, I stripped all of my, I, I stripped everything away when I came down here to work in a similar fashion as you are. And it was like the greatest challenge ever. So wh- what's your story? Like, where did you start? And, and how does that reflect on where you are now? Um, my, my story is kind of weird. It's, uh, I've, I've been professionally cooking for like 10 years now, which has coincided with the time that I've been not, uh, consuming alcohol or hard drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. Uh, So I went to, I went to culinary school for a real short amount of time and and dropped out. Hey, I, I don't do well with authority. I don't do well being told what to do. And, uh, (laughs) I kind of think that culinary school is a place where creative creativity um, has a tendency to get sucked out of people. Um, yeah. I think it teaches you to be too like rigid and, and too one way. And uh, so I went there, I was working in bars and uh, man, I was, I just ate a lot of painkillers and uh, drank, drank <laughs> a lot of alcohol and, you know, some shit came to a head in my life where it was like, uh, you need to go get clean. So, um, I went to, I went to rehab, uh, did a couple of levels of outpatient as well as a full inpatient rehab, cut all that bullshit out and, uh, got in at a spot, uh, where one of my friends, um, was just, was cooking at, you know? So I, I just started there. Uh, you know, at first I was like, oh, I want to be this. I want to be, that will be Thomas Keller and all this bullshit. And then I started really learning what the restaurant industry was about. Um, I started when I was about 31. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, I had a different mentality going into it. I'd already fucked with a lot of life lessons that most people don't have to deal with. Um, you know, I, most of them yeah. self-inflicted, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, it's, I went into it with a different mentality and I went into it knowing that I didn't want to be come where I was at. So, you know, I stayed within one company and I kind of got to run the gamut in, you know, a, a six year span of working in a small spot all the way up to this, what you're saying, like 500 people a day, you know, cruising through it. And I just kind of saw how that worked. And I, I worked at a few fine dining restaurants in between all that. And, you know, I realized that, uh, I don't know. I just kind of thought it was all bullshit and I just kind of got over it. And I, you know, I got, I, I got my lessons in where I needed to get them. And, uh, my buddy and I started doing a bunch of pop-ups and that's where I really started like beginning to understand what my own culinary identity was because yeah. I was simultaneously figuring out who I was as a person. So, you know, in that 10 years of, of being, of not drinking and not, eating every single drug that I could possibly find, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in that period, I really started figuring out what, what was important to me. I've always been politically minded, but I've never been active enough because, you know, I spent too much time just being fucked up, 
you know, yep. um, you know, I, I realized that I do have, you know, a strong set of ethics and morals that, you know, I'm not going to say a lot of people don't have in, in the restaurant industry, but, you know, I think is not as highlighted as it should be, or, you know, isn't encouraged for people to step out and be like that. But, you know, I started through these pop-ups, started figuring out who I was and what I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I kind of came to this, uh, to this museum. I had, a, my friend was the general manager there at the time. He is no longer, but, uh, you know, I saw it as a pretty unique opportunity. Um, it's not extreme volume, you know, we can accommodate anywhere between, you know, if it a really busy day would be like a hundred and something, you know, a hundred, 120 yeah. people or something like that. But, uh, you know, we don't, usually hit numbers like that. So it gives us time to be a little bit more refined and really think things out and really, you know, be who we are. And, you know, we kind of just got a green light to be just be ourselves and just create the dishes that we want, you know, because not only are we trying to find out who we are, I think simultaneously the muse, the restaurant in the museum was as well. Uh, you know, they had just, you know, a few years back, the original chef of the restaurant passed away. Um, I didn't really know her or anything like that. Um, but the, so she passed away. And then, uh, you know, they had a couple chefs in between. And I think they were really trying to figure out what they were as well. So, you know, it kind of just ended up being the right time, the right place. And they were the type of place that was just going to be like, you know, yeah, you, you're more, what moral ground you stand on is completely acceptable to us and we'll let you do what it is that you do and express yourself, you know? So Sick. that's kind of how and, I got to this place. And it, it, that's a <laughs> real abbreviated story, but. <laughs> no, I, I, I it, it, it's great. It paints a good picture. And, and do you find, so the place that you were working in, this this like long journey that you went through the place that you worked at for a long period of time you said it was a bit corporate so like you i'm sure that you guys had all the utent like all the shit that you that you thought you needed right like all the tools all the equipment do you find that now being in this place where you're allowed to be fully fully you have full carte blanche so to speak in creativity but not as much space, do you feel like actually it's helped you be more creative to not have crutches in the kitchen, not have all of the, all of the things and, and, and really have to figure out how to make things work like a small kitchen and working with local products through the winter time. Do you feel like that's been a, a big proponent for, for forward movement in your creativity and finding yourself? Most definitely. Yeah. No, I, you know, as much shit as I talk on winter <laughs> here, I, uh, it certainly has pushed me to be a far more creative chef. And then also, yeah, being in a place where I don't have access to whatever I want, whenever I want, you know, or, you know, I don't have, you know, three cryovac machines to sous vide for, you know, you know, to yeah. for sous vide and, and shit like that. Like, yeah, I, it, it, at first it, it's, it felt like a, a little bit of a handicap, but, you know, I've been there now almost three years and like, it really has kind of taught me how to be, to be better at what I do and to be creative about how I go about doing it. And, you know, it's also been able, it, I, you know, I've been able to learn to appreciate ingredients and learn how to be respectful towards ingredients because like, I also don't have the luxury of mass storage for food either. So 
I'm really limited on what I can purchase, you know, time to time because I don't have anywhere to put it. So, yeah. you know, it's all led me to be, to be a little bit more uh, thoughtful and a little bit more delicate in my approach to how, you know, I cook, but also how I, I create dishes and like conceive them. It's funny because it's funny because I don't know if you've had many chefs come work with you, but essentially when I, when I moved down here and I started Pirata, it was like, I'm, I'm getting rid of all of the, all of the toys and all of the tools. So I had like a, 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 a charcoal grill, or like lo- we use like the charcoal that you buy here locally in a comal and one hot plate. And that's how we created everything. And so when I first did that, you know, the first month of me being in the kitchen trying to create a menu, I was like, fuck, like I, I was just shunning all these old tools that I had to use. And, and like you said in the beginning, it's frustrating, but then you learn to start to be delicate. Like I fucking hated, I w- I never really cooked squash that much, you know, and it's endemic here, calabasa. And so I didn't really know what to do with it other than the things that I had seen done with it in the past. And in, in those kitchens, you always go to, you always go to your, like, like I said before, you always go to your crutches. No, like, ah, let's just, you know, let's just fucking throw it in the oven with some honey or in cinnamon or whatever the fuck you do No, And so anyways, outside of product, I've had chefs come into my kitchen from outside. I did a first, in the first year I did a few, I invited a few chefs. And then after that, I just realized it was too much of a pain in the ass because I would invite chefs and they'd be like, where's this, where's this, where's this, where's that? Like asking me all of these things. And now when I go and cook, I'm also a more thoughtful cook when I go do collabs with other chefs because I don't ask for anything. I just see what they have and that's the way I create. And so I don't know if you've had a similar experience where like you go into these places now and you're like, what the fuck? This is mad. Now when I go into a kitchen that has all these things, I'm like, what is all this bullshit here? All this is just fucking taking up space. I could do so much with this space. Do you, do you feel the same way now when you look outwardly at other, at other kitchens or cooks or chefs? Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, well, like last year when I went to Mexico, I, I actually went to Puerto Vallarta to meet a friend and do a, a, a collaboration dinner with him and, and another friend who was from Mexico City. And, uh, I, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. So I, what, I, what I do, you know, and I do private dinners in people's homes every now and again, people that I like, you know. Uh, yeah. Not just any fucking random person. It's not really, you know, my thing. But uh like I always ask for people to either send me pictures of their kitchen or just a list of what they have. That way I know what I'm working with when I go in there initially. Cause what, what you're explaining to me, like what you were working with, like the, the, the absolute minimum sounds like an absolute blast to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, like that. I do like gadgets and stuff like that, man. You know, like I was talking about the freeze dryer earlier, but you know, yeah. that, that'll be, oh, that'll be a preservation thing for us as well. You know, so it'll have more than one function of just doing really neat shit with it. But uh, also, you know, that shit's not necessary, you know, <laughs> like. I love that shit too. Look, I love the toys too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it, it's not necessary. And I, I don't, it doesn't make you a better chef. It doesn't make you a better cook. You know, it doesn't make you better at what you do. It just gives you another avenue to do certain things. What makes you a better chef or a better cook is how you look at that and how, and how you allow that to manipulate your career, you know, your creative thought process and, you know, what that outcome can be. And like, you know, 
being able to figure out how to show the most respect to an ingredient that, while using that tool, you know, um, yeah. if you're, if you're looking at things like that, um, while you're using tools like that, then I think these tools are completely acceptable to use. But, uh, you know, at the same time, if you can't go and fuck around on a Kamal and a, and a grill and that, and that'd be like what you have, then you should also reconsider your relationship with cooking and understand that cooking is a much more primitive thing than what it's made out to be in fine dining establishments and culinary schools. Um, you know, there's, people need to get back to their connection with what cooking really is besides just a form of sustenance or, you know, uh, a fucking cool Instagram, you know, post <laughs> or, you know, what, you know, any of that shit. I, I'm not saying don't post your shit on Instagram. I do it all the time, you know, but yeah, yeah, no, know, I feel it's, you. it's man, it's just it, what makes it special is like what you're doing and who you're sharing that with, you know, and who's sharing that experience with you that's what makes that shit special. You can do as many tricks as you want, but it doesn't make a good dish necessarily. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I think that we're, I think that we're headed towards a very difficult time in this industry. I, for one, am fucking super tired of even hearing the word chef anymore because yeah. that if to me, that's not even what it is because now if you can call yourself a chef, if you've got an Instagram profile and you make food at home and take pictures of it like you can call yourself a chef so it, that word holds no weight and what I see is a lot I see a lot of young kids uh, for example I don't really take um I don't take stages I don't believe in 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 having people work for free so yeah. if someone comes down here and they want to work with me in Pirata for example I would invite people and I would pay them and then I'd be like well you're gonna get fired if you can't hang right and in any ways the kitchen was me and one other girl so it would be just an experience for them but I had for example someone come who had experience in in some of the best restaurants in Europe and had eight years in the kitchen and couldn't for the life of him could not accomplish one single papaya cut that I wanted that that we did because a lot of the work that we do is very simple and it's respecting the product. And some of the ways you do that is just like using your fucking knife really well. So we were, you know, there's a specific cut on a papaya that he just could not get right. And the girl who works for me for th three months, who's a local girl could do it perfectly. Well, when he came in the door, his first question to me was like, can you teach me how to ferment? Can you teach me how to cure? Can you teach me how to you do all of the modernist technique that you use? And I was like, let's get the fucking papaya cut right first, bro. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like fuck all the other shit. Just that's what you need to learn. You know, and I, I think that we're getting to a point where kids are learning the toys. All those toys are cool. Like you said, they're cool. But if you don't know how to, you, you have to understand how to do all the basics first and then you can get the toys because then you can even understand why they're necessary or if they're necessary. And so I, I, I'm a little bit, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm a little bit dismayed at, at what the future holds in food. And I hope, you know, uh, guys like you can, can help push, um, can help push that forward in the United States, at least, you know, communicating the importance of product and working with limited resources. How many how many cooks do you have in the kitchen? Do you find are, are you are you finding a similar a, a similar story there? Like do you do you deal with some of the same shit no, with cooks man. there? No, I don't. I prefer not to fuck with kids from culinary school. Um, to be honest, it, it gives it gives people an expedited sense of importance in that like 
just because you graduated culinary school doesn't mean that you're actually equipped to be a chef. And I actually agree with you on the chef thing too. Uh, I make no one call me chef. And I also, when people do call me chef, I correct that and I let them know that that's not my expectation. And not only is it not my expectation, it's my preference that you not call me chef. Um, because it's bullshit. <laughs> and I don't really believe in the hierarchy. Uh, we're a collaborative kitchen. I, we have titles, you know, we have titles designated, you know, because of that's how that shit has to work, I guess, you know, um, how pay scale has to work since I don't have, since I don't own it, I guess I'll say that, you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You know, it's not necessarily my place to tell them that that's not necessarily appropriate, but like, you know, to the people who come in, I don't, you know, it's never like people are like, yeah, chef. I'm like, don't, don't do it. You don't need to do that. My name's Rick. It's that fucking easy. Like, let's, let's do this together, you know? Um, but I usually, uh, right now it's just me and one other chef. Uh, we typically will run with six employees total. That includes myself in the back of house. Um, but right now it's just me and my sous chef, uh, but I, you know, hopefully in the next like few weeks, I will be adding on. I'm hoping, um, you know, everything's really weird with COVID here right now. So uh, all of the all of the basically restrictions were just relaxed, with the exception of the mask mandate. So we'll see an influx in in business. Um, we already have, so I expect that we'll be building on. But you know, the culture that we have in in that restaurant there's only three front of house people right now as well as, as that we're here as, as a unit. And we, we do have an extremely close bond right now. And we, you know, we do act almost as friends when we're in the, in the kitchen and when we're working and, and that has created a really special environment. And I think it's reflected in, you know, the, you know, we get a lot of, a lot of a lot of compliments a lot of good reviews a lot of people who are out there they're just like whoa this is a fucking crazy experience you know i'm really stoked on this uh you know i feel like it's really showing in what we're doing but uh it's not ran like an orthodox kitchen you know it's definitely not something i don't want a traditional kitchen i want nothing yeah. to do with it honestly <laughs> yeah absolutely i've i've th this is one of the reasons why i have made the commitment to myself that any project that I create, you know, we're me and my wife are moving to Baja. I'm working on a new concept for there. And then I just launched this, you know, during COVID for me, it was like, I want to shift to just helping other human beings. And then anything that I do myself is going to be like me and one other person from now on, because it, it's, I, I like that the Orthodox kitchen, it's very fitting because it is like a fucking religion. No. And, 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 and one of the things that I started to do in Pirata was, like, I came here to find myself. I went through some similar things. I was sober for two years. I, I got sober for two years. Um, just, you know, like you were working at a bar. I was working in the kitchen. We know how it goes. Just taking advantage of all of the fruits that fall from the trees right. <laughs> when, they're, when, they're, when they're there. Um, and, and when I came here, it was really about, like, breaking down the walls of what was true and what was not. And, um, and I, I don't know, 
it's 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 fucking wild, dude. It's really crazy to me that we still follow these archaic fucking rules and we believe like the entire world believes that somehow the French system created by one dude is the system that all these kitchens should be operating on. And then all of the judges of food, quote unquote, judges, the food critics, the the award ceremonies, they're all based on the same bullshit. And all of that bullshit it it just creates opportunity for anyone who's willing to take part in the lineage. Because if you look specifically in the United States, the majority of the guys who are successful there have worked in one of the same kitchens, right? Like they're all still coming from the same fucking five restaurants and then just blossoming out. So it, it, to me, it's a, it, it paints a really, a really incredible picture of capitalism and how capitalism works in the food industry just as much. No, it's, it's a crazy fucking thing. So uh, fuck, I don't know. How do we move past it, man? I think think (laughs) capitalism is the biggest detriment of all to to humanity in general. Um, I definitely think that we learned what what capitalism has done to the restaurant industry. I mean, in during COVID, you know, yeah, it was it was a fucking bloodbath, man. Like it was a bloodbath here. Like I mean, it was just well, restaurants closing left and right, and you know. It, but it, it definitely says something about the foundation. I think we all learned some really important lessons over the over this past year and a half. Um, and I I'm hoping that people are starting to really get a grasp on what it what it means to live in a capitalist society and you know, a pseudo democracy. And, you know, I, I, yeah. I really, I really hope this woke some eyes, you know, because like the restaurant industry, where this should be a very fucking valuable lesson that the things aren't being ran correctly and things that are being ran on, on a high profit model and a profit over people model. And that will, will cave in on, on itself. If you look at any major, financial institutions, you know, especially stuff like real estate, like you're good for a real estate pop about once every decade or so where shit just really hits the fan, you know, um, yeah. then where the, or, you know, where the dollar loses so much value that, you know, everyone's freaking the fuck out and deciding it's time to start, you know, stocking up grains and shit in their basement, you know, it's like, <laughs> But this this is all signs of a very fucking flawed system that is not designed to for the benefit of the majority of the population. It is designed specifically to benefit those with a lot of financial stability and or just wealth. So, uh, you know, and I think that that is also di- directly reflective of what's happening in the restaurant industry. What the answer is? I mean, I change that i don't i don't know i think that uh this is a dangerous fucking thing to say people get weird about it but i definitely think that it it would not be completely inappropriate for the restaurant industries to unionize or create something similar to that we have uh the ability to fall back on because it is such a volatile fucking you know industry I agree and i agree in this look if you you said it in 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 pretty clear words, but I think that the reality is in what's capitalist about and and has been capitalist about the restaurant industry is that it's been propped up on speculation essentially, because there is a lot of, like a lot of these restaurants, fine dining restaurants, 
if that's what you want to call them, are the best restaurants in the country or the best restaurants in the world, were on this surge up because cooking became cool. And so what happened was on speculation, investors dumped a shitload of money into projects, millions of dollars. I don't think that you should ever spend a million dollars to open a restaurant. I think you're fucking stupid if you spend a million dollars to open a restaurant. It's completely pointless. It makes no sense. It's unnecessary. And 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 people are spending people are spending five times that on building a fucking restaurant, right? And and so all of these investors on speculation of growth dumped money into projects that they weren't going to see back. They were what they were going to do was they were going to they were going to they were going to bottom line their their labor. They were going to cut you know one of the one of the most difficult things I had to deal with in Los Angeles when I was working with big money uh, working in big money restaurants that were like multi-million dollar restaurants is having to tell my laborers that they couldn't work 40 hours a week because if they clocked out 15 minutes late, they'd go into overtime and we can't pay them overtime because the owner doesn't want to pay overtime, even though we're making millions of dollars. And so the, 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 the problem that I see really happened because I don't know if you saw, uh, the independent restaurant coalition, which is not a fucking independent restaurant coalition, but this thing that all these guys started was, you know, their talking points were that they have net 30 terms and they need to pay off their product. If you're in 10% profit and the restaurant closes, if you're in, and then they say like their profit margin is 10%, whatever, right? So if you're in 10% profit and the restaurant closes tomorrow, you should be able to pay off your net 30 terms on food, or you should be able to fucking pay your food in advance if you're selling it that day, right? So clearly that's not what the problem was. The problem was they were over-investing and they need money to pay off their investments. And, 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 and these dudes are still driving fucking BMWs and living in the fucking Hollywood Hills, their salary was probably $80,000, $90,000 a year. They weren't cooking on the line. They were walking around with a clipboard. They probably weren't even creating the fucking food that, that was that was on the table. And they were paying their staff $15 an hour or less to work in the kitchen. And so this was really the problem. The problem is guys like fucking cooks is what we need. We don't need chefs anymore. We need cooks. We need cooks to step into the kitchen and we need cooks to take the reins back on this shit. And we need, and we need people who want to invest First of all, if you're listening to this and you want to start a restaurant and you've never worked in a restaurant, don't fucking do it (laughs) at all. (laughs) It's not, unless you're dedicated to it, unless you want to put the time and effort into really bleeding for what you, what you, what you're building and what you're selling, it's not worthwhile. And so if you are going to do that, look for a fucking cook. Don't look for a face. Don't look for a cool Instagram page. Look for somebody who wants to support the 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 growth of those below them and also work like that's what's going to get us out of this is work and so I, yeah i think that the problem is speculation it built there was a lot of speculation built about up about cool shit which is what capitalism is no like it's what the stock market is we're just betting on tomorrow and so it that's where the collapse came i think no yeah the whole the fucking i mean let's just get let's get let's get on a real level here like I mean, the the entire concept of, of money is ignorant and flawed, <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, so how could any of this shit possibly work? Let's say this: the the money, my, much like religion, and much like all of these things that carry so much weight in our life, are all created by human beings, right? All human beings yeah. are flawed, 
show me a human being that says they're not flawed and I'll show you a fucking fool, man. Like, yeah. Flawed, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. It's what makes us special, you know, is, the, is what, you know, it's our quirks and shit like that. Like, but like, we're not equipped to create systems that are meant for the entirety of the population. We're just not, that's not, it's just not human nature doesn't allow for that. So like the idea of, of money, I mean, a, it's fucking ridiculous, but B it's also created by human beings. So naturally this isn't going to work, you know, (laughs) like, and I, th- I think we're starting to re- come to that realization when the majority of the world's wealth lies in the hands of so very few and the rest of us are, you know, left living in whatever our concept of middle or lower class is like it does like it fucking matters, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, in, in a sense, it does matter to for the day to day struggle. But ultimately, in the big picture, you could lump all those people into the entire same category because the eventual treatment will be the same. Um, so I, you know, as far as restaurants are concerned, I mean, it's just another, it's just a bunch of fucking people with money who needed somewhere to throw it. And they thought exactly what you're saying, that this was the hot trend. This was the thing to do, but clearly, you know, they didn't do enough research, you know, (laughs) it's a flawed industry and it definitely, you know, it, it's at the mercy of, of literally everything that surrounds it. So I don't know, you know, circling back to what you're saying about if your idea is to open a restaurant, don't do it. Uh, I'm not sure I couldn't back you more on that, you know, like I just, and, unless that's really what, unless you're willing to spend that type of time, you know, and it's, you know, you're, you're, you're in the understanding that you're not pursuing popularity and you're not pursuing, you know, getting, getting, I don't know, fucking awards, you know, and all that shit. If, that, if that's what's not in your mind, you really want to dedicate that time, go do it. If your idea is just to go in and you think you're going to pull some James Beards or whatever stupid fucking irrelevant award system, you know, is out there, you're going to pull from that, then you should find something else to do with your life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a, um, it makes sense to some to some extent that pe- <clears throat> that people would people with money would go after first of all something that's perceived as a luxury where they can cuz what I I did a lot of consulting and what I saw a lot of times was I even recently I did a consulting project and it was the same thing it's like a place they can bring their friends and show them off and say oh this is my place come eat for free let's have a good time and drink all the fucking wine and take advantage of all these people's cheap labor and, and then the other thing is that we're we're commoditizing food and we're commoditizing it in a weird a weird weird manner like we're 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 making it more valuable because of the plateware or because of the the walls or because of the the chairs that you're sitting in or the glasses that you're drinking from and reality like those are nice things to have but it doesn't add any value to the food the hands and the labor do and the experience might but like I've always looked at pricing, for example, in a restaurant from the perspective of there's an ethical way to price food. And if my food cost is below X, you know, if my food cost is sub 20, I can probably charge a little bit less for my food. 
You know, like that, like that's, that's morally correct for me to do. Like if I'm below, if I'm like super sub 20% in food cost, I should probably be charging a little bit less for my food. And I don't think that, um, and I think that people take advantage of the fact that like putting something on a nice plate, for example, or in a nice setting, for example, you can charge more money for it. And, and I always go back to this thought that like, if you took a fucking, you know, let, let's, we can use Mexico as an example. If I took a fucking taco off the street outside of Puyol, and then I went into the kitchen in Puyol and put that on a fucking plate in Puyol, you could charge whatever the fuck you wanted. And everyone would say it was incredible. And that Enrico Alvera is a fucking God for creating it. And you could charge them 500 pesos when you can buy it for seven pesos out in the fucking street. And so this is the weird thing that's happening. And, 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 and it is, it is dangerous because we're making food, we're making a, a a human right a commodity and and it's difficult it's it's very difficult for me every day to think about how the fuck we can correct this issue that's one of the reasons like you know i charge for example a thousand pesos for 10 courses of food and five beverages because that's just what's just and i probably could charge a lot more but it, it, that's the effort that we all have to take and i hope but i don't know if in reality it's going to happen, I hope that this was the check we needed. But do you really see any change coming from COVID? Like, do you really see any change coming from these motherfuckers at the top? I think, well, yeah, that's, that's, and there's, there's the problem. Is it? No, you don't see a change from people at the top and the people with money, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not specifically saying anything about where I'm, where I work, you know, I, yeah, a little bit, different scenario um but no i mean the the people who have you know money are also the people who didn't want to wear their masks you know and going out in public and <laughs> thought that they were too privileged to do shit like that you know so no do i do i think that i think that people some people woke the fuck up man i do i think that it's going to be the ultimate catalyst for change? Probably not. I think it's going to take a little bit more extreme situations, but I mean, the way shit's going, that can't be too far away either. You know, it's, yeah. you know, that's, we live, we live in an incredibly unstable world and inevitably something else is going to pop up. That's going to challenge how we perceive our realities. And, you know, I think that this may be, that, you know, this time with COVID allowed, I think it really did allow people to kind of wake up to what is going on or at least get a basic surface understanding, you know, like a lot of Americans yeah. didn't think that racism was really a deal in America, which is fucking absurd, but like, <laughs> uh, you know, but like a lot of people got learned to it whenever they, you know, whenever, you know, the George Floyd thing started, which it's been going on for much longer than that. You know, but yeah, you know, it's, you know, that's everyone had an opportunity to stop and really think about shit. And, you know, whether that was because you were unemployed, furloughed or on leave or whatever, you know, I think it gave people an opportunity to see that. And I think if there's any crisis that goes deeper than something like a COVID, you're going to have, you might start seeing people stand up and be like, you know, this is fucked up. I think we have the power to stand up and say, we're done with this shit because that's what it's going to take is everybody just to be like, yo, this is dumb. Like we're doing dumb shit right now. And it's up to us to say, Hey, we don't want to fucking spend our money here. We don't want to put our money where, you know, these monsters live. And, 
do this shit. Like we have the ability to make that change. Unfortunately, humans are so good at being complacent and like having amnesia that they just like forget about this real shit happening. And it takes very, very, very traumatic experiences to get it stuck in people's head. So I don't think that the billionaires and shit like that's going to change. I don't think Jeff Bezos fucking grew a heart over this whole incident. <laughs> if anything, he just got richer and more of a piece of shit, you know? Yeah. But I, you know, I don't know. I think it allowed what would be considered the quote unquote common man, common person, you know, to really have an opportunity to evaluate what was going on for better or worse, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, I definitely do. You know, one of the things that one of the things that sucks about the way the United States handled it is like also in the end the the money that was distributed was fucking absurd the way they abs- distributed money in the United States. It makes absolutely no no sense to me. Like why money was given out so freely the way it was. It kind of does make sense. The stock market was going to crash and Donald Trump wanted to save the fucking country, right? Or wanted to save his ass, not the country. I should. I, yeah. <laughs> he wanted to save himself. Right. Um, and so, uh, but my hope is that uh, the other the other thing that's difficult about the situation is that like now we live in the age where information is so fucking rapidly changing every single day you're getting a new piece of information that you know when shit jumps back maybe people are going to go right back to their old ways and i i think that one of the um to go back to something you 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 touched on and you said a lot of people get weird about i think that you're fucking absolutely right. A union is what can solve a lot of problems. And it's hard for people to see specifically now because the loaded gun always is like socialism or communism. No one understands what those two fucking things are. If you want to understand what those things are, please read, for example, the Communist Manifesto by Marx so you can understand it was a fucking theory. It wasn't ever like a legitimized business plan of how a government should run. It was a fucking theory and someone took that theory and turned it into their own and that's how Russia and fucking China exist if that's what you're scared of. But you have to understand it was a theory it wasn't really like, you know, it was a theory of how human beings can coexist and how human beings who work in an industry can run that industry. And those were the movement, like, you know, the, the, the anarchist movement in, in Spain, for example, there was, there was many examples of when it worked in, in union, unionization seems to scare people, but the people it scares is, is, is the wealthy and the wealthy will paint any picture that they possibly can to explain to you why that's not the right way to go and why it takes away your freedom to be part of a union. But I really don't. And I don't know. I mean, how the fuck do we, do we make a restaurant union? You know what I mean? Like how do we, how do we unionize something that is inherently independent capitalism, you know, from, uh, how do we do that? Oh man, <laughs> I don't even. <laughs> where, where, where do you where do you even start with that? You know, I so many so many thoughts on that. I I mean, I guess you look back at a who's doing it currently, which I don't know of anyone else besides California, and I, I'm I'm that's that's speaking on complete ignorance. I don't know what other states you know have unionized restaurant workers or if that you know. I feel like it's something we should look at, but we also maybe take a look at how other 
you know, businesses are unionized, but like even then you're that, that comparison is not a safe comparison to make because it really is unlike any other business, you know, besides maybe bartending or, or you know, bars and shit like that. So yeah, it's, I, it's a different, it's, it's a really weird thing to try to figure out. I, I don't know. From, from my perspective, I think that one of the things that we have to do also is we have to stop fucking looking at solving these problems. <clears throat> For example, the work that you're doing, whether or not you realize it, like everything that you've explained to me about what you're doing is in some sense doing exactly what we're talking about doing. You're making a standard. You've been given the ability – for example, in your position – there's many chefs who would go into that position and they would probably bring in fucking the most ridiculously expensive bullshit from around the world and charge a lot of money because they could because there's expensive paintings hanging on the wall. But you, like, luckily that that art, that, that art museum was gifted with someone who had values and you were able to take that power and instead of turning it into a high profile position for yourself where you can get written up in magazines for having the most fucking extravagant menu on on a, 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 of any art museum in the country, you said, look, we're going to fucking dig in and we're going to do some, some humanitarian work and we're going to set – and you probably will never get – you're never going to get a fucking – you're never going to get a fucking – the real recognition you deserve for what you did, but what you're doing is not about the food. What you're doing is about building community and building morals inside your community. And that's what we need to do. We need leaders like you, for example, who can just quietly do what they're doing. But then also you've got to, once you build that system, you've got to use, I think that you've got to, you've got to build a platform for yourself to speak about it because it is a value. That's what we need to do. What we need to do is we all need to humble ourselves and we need to work inside our community to create symbiosis, you know, and create fucking homeostasis, just, just existence on a, on a, on a, on a normal level where every human being can come and experience what you're doing. Right. So I think that that's the first step. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sure, man. I I think that there's a bit of a bit, bit of an issue with honesty in the in the industry, you know. And I, a lot of people like to throw those you know catch words around, you know, like sustainable and ethically driven and shit like that. And it really is going to be about but being being straight up about it and showing that that's what you're fucking about, man, because. Like you're saying, man, anyone, anyone could have stepped into my position and like, I'm going to get truffles. I'm, I'm fucking definitely, I'm anti-truffle. Like I am anti-truffle. I fucking hate that I, shit. I, I, I find that that's like almost like a point of activism for me. I'm just like, <laughs> truffles away, man. It's lazy. Like it's lazy and the carbon footprint of that is enormous. The fucking crimes that go behind truffle hunting is fucking enormous. The, the real cost of people is shit, you know? And it's like, I, why do stuff like that? There's really, really special stuff that is growing here and naturally occurs here and is indigenous to this area or grows wild in this area that are, is so special. And I think that people, you know, maybe take a little bit more time to understand what, you know, why that's special. And then when you treat it special, that's when you have luxury ingredients. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't need all that flash and all that bullshit. And 
you're right. I probably won't ever get picked for an award or a James Beard. And like, I really couldn't give a shit less. Like I, that, that, none of it means anything. It's all stupid. It's all back rubbing. And it's all the same fucking jack offs getting in there and saying that this is, you know, this is who everyone should vote for. This is who I nominate. And it's like, I've seen restaurants get nominated for James Beard awards that are just absolute pieces of shit. And yeah, you know, I think it's because it's a ridiculous system. It's stupid and no one should fucking worry about stuff like that. It's dumb. Like I worked in a, a, a restaurant that won a James Beard award, right? Literally right after they got it. And they still couldn't fill all 50, whatever seats, you know, like yeah. it's, it's bullshit. It's all a facade. It's all, it's some weird, like the people's desire for recognition is just, I don't know, man, it's kind of fucked, you know, because it's like, you know, the, the recognition that you need actually comes from the people who are most important to you, not a bunch of fucking strangers or a bunch of dudes in suits and ties that, you know, are going to eat at fucking every five star or whatever restaurant, you know, all that bullshit. You know, I think it's all just, it's ridiculous. So. Yeah. yeah and yeah. And it, it is, it, it, it's, it's a fucking, it is a fucking ridiculous system. And, and, and I'm, and I'm even more pissed off about it this year because they continue to give out these dumb fucking awards. Like, what did you do in the year that you were shut down that made you qualified for three Michelin stars? Right. How, how can you possibly get a fucking Michelin star and you were closed for a year? Yeah. So this is and, – and th- but this should I, – I, I hope that this is a wake-up call. In, in reality, you want to know what? I respect I, – I respect some of the people – let me think about how to phrase this. I respect the work that some of the people on those lists are doing, but I do not respect the fact that they do not st- – they should give that shit back. Yeah. Every but every fucking person who won an award this year should say fuck you. I'm not taking it. Not congratulations. Here's my fucking Instagram. Like put it on their Instagram. None of that shit. Give it back. What the fuck is it for? And what good is it doing? Yeah. It's doing good for your ego and nothing more. So give the shit back. And and, and then you in in and then we can start to move forward. Then we can start to have a conversation about how we can fix this problem. But we can't fix this problem until the ego is drawn out of this thing. Right. And look. I've made this statement a lot. Like I, I, I started when I was 13 years old and I'm a fucking cook. Like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the best cook. I never thought about being a chef. I never thought about having a fucking Michelin star restaurant. I never thought about any of that shit. So my goal was to be the baddest fucking cook in the world. My goal was that any kitchen I went into within a day, I was the best cook in the kitchen and I knew how to do everything there. Like that was what my goal was in volume. Like I could do volume like a motherfucker. So if you want to have a competition where you give out awards, let's go. I'll go up against any fucking cook. I'll go up against any one of those chefs. We'll each have, we'll, we'll do, you know, it'll be five of us. We'll each have our own restaurant and we'll each do 500 covers in a night. And like a fire will happen somewhere in the restaurant and all these issues will pop up and who wins. I guarantee you nobody's fucking beating me. Like I can say that with confidence. And so that's really what we should be giving. A, if you're going to give an award, give an award for someone who, who don't give awards for, for how nice your plates are, how nice your chairs are, or, or whatever the fuck the Michelin star means. How about give an award to someone who, who really cares about their community and do some fucking research behind why you're giving the award, you know? 
Puyol won a fucking sustainability award. This is the most, they won the award for the most sustainable restaurant in Latin America. Fuck you, dude. That is not, that's not true. It's just inherently not true. They do 250 covers a night. That's, you know, because you're a fucking, you're a cook who, who a, a cook who, who runs a, a restaurant. Is it possible to be sustainable at 250 no. uh, seats a night? <laughs> not really. Not really. There's the answer. When you have gas stove, French tops and shit. No, fuck no. Like I've been, I went into that kitchen, the the Puyo kitchen, and yeah, uh, my wife and I ate there uh, with a couple friends when we were in um, in Mexico City four years ago. And yeah, uh, I mean it. Well, it's fucking beautiful. I'll say that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I just don't how how a restaurant can do anything above 200 covers and be sustainable, I think is, uh, becomes more and more difficult, especially, you know, while in Mexico city is a little bit different than say Kansas city, you know, I, it's yeah. a fucking infinitely smaller city. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, so, you know, I, it, the market, the far, the, you know, what's available to us is, is almost limited, you know, like I know, I mean, I probably, could do some patchwork and get enough meat to cover that many covers, you know, can I get enough to cover it for a month? I doubt it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so like circling back to the Michelin star thing, like how fucked that is, is how can I possibly respect that? If every country is not taken into account, like how is yeah. that possible? You're telling me that just those select places that you guys have decided to send your people to is where the best food in the world is? Like, I don't fucking think so, man. And the world's 50 best. All that shit is silly. Um, on that same trip, we ended up going to Peru and we ate at uh, Central in, in Lima. And uh, I do have a bit of respect for what they're doing because uh, a lot of what they do, especially up in Cusco is centered specifically around the populations in particular, I believe a lot of the indigenous populations to that area. Yeah. yeah and that's real shit. So that's real shit. But how many people are really doing that on these lists? You know, like how many people are really putting that much effort into doing something really positive for their community. And, you know, especially when you start looking at, you know, the, the indigenous populations of those areas, you know, uh, not fucking fucking none dude yeah that, that's the reality like th these guys maybe there's a few right like central i think is 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 og like i think that 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 shit's legit and i respect the fuck out of the work that they're doing for sure because what they're doing is putting the hum humanity first before the food right right and that's what we have to do like you said putting culture first before the food but what's happening in the majority of these places first of all the world's 50 best is fucking stupid because unless you eat at every restaurant in the world you can't say that one is better than the other yeah and and we're giving awards for something that's completely sub personally subjective right no exactly exactly like like it, it, it's 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 perplexing it look i think we can we talk about that for the fucking rest of our lives and and probably not see any any change but and of course like dude i love gadgets i think that beautiful kitchens are 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 incredible and, and I don't think that it's wrong to have nice things. Right. I think it's wrong to abuse nice things. And I think that we've get, we've been given – I think that it's just a fucking runaway train. I think that that's what happened. I think it's okay that there's nice restaurants, that there's fucking super high-end restaurants. But I, I think that when everybody starts using 
truffles, for example, in every fucking restaurant across the country, you're right. That's damaging. Can you have truffles once a year? Fuck yeah. Do it. Enjoy it. But do you need to have truffles three or four times a week? Fuck no. You you shouldn't. And then it loses its value. It loses its, its inherent value by the fact that everybody's got it. And so I think that we sh- – like I don't eat octopus. I'm on the beach and I see every fucking restaurant here serving octopus. It all comes from f- fucking Veracruz or Baja, California, right? And none of it's from here and everybody thinks it comes from here. I just don't eat octopus in general because I – at this moment in time because I just – think that we're over, it's one of the things that we're overfishing and you see it on every seafood menu. Do I think that it's wrong to eat octopus? No, but I think that we've abused our privilege to, and for that reason, we need to stop doing it. And, and, and that's the point. It's like, this is why we can't have nice things. That's the statement, you know, it's like now, no, now nobody gets to do it. Now everybody fucked up so much that no one gets to do it. And we got to start over again. And once we can give back to the fucking planet, first of all, which is diminishing very rapidly and no one understands the amount of energy that goes into producing something and you're not getting the equivalent energy the equivalence in energy out that's a detriment and that's how we fall that's how this world falls apart so i i i i I always say this with the caveat that like i do believe that you can have nice things we just can't have them right now we just don't deserve we're on timeout i'm 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 you know, and also I fucking I love octopus. It's actually so it's something that that I cook really well. It's something that I enjoy cooking. It's one of my favorite. It's definitely my favorite seafood. It's my favorite seafood to cook. It's my favorite seafood to consume. I just don't do it very often at all because I mean, like the octopus that we get here is from Spain. Like, yeah, we're not getting octopus. I mean, unless someone has a source of something closer, but like, you know, it's just, there's a heavy cost to that, you know? So it's a pretty rare thing for me to ever have, but I will say straight up that I fucking absolutely love octopus. <laughs> it's my, yeah, and, it is my and, favorite. And look, and look, you do the work that's required to allow you to have, like put that shit on the menu every once in a while. That's fucking cool, dude. Yeah. Bring some shit in every once in a while and put it on the menu. The problem is that like when you're getting flat, like, when you're flying shit in every single fucking day to your restaurant yeah. from across the globe, that's not you. That's not being respectful of the gifts that you're given from the fucking planet. Right. I just don't believe that. You can pay homage to those things for fucking sure, dude. Have a truffle night. Have an octopus night. You know what I mean? Have a fucking have a have a a, a reason to celebrate that product, but don't just make that product another fucking thing on the menu. Right. That's what you do by having it there all the time. You just make it another thing. Pay respect to what it is and bring it in and and do something beautiful with it. Right. And 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 I think that that's one of the things we have to get back to. Now food is just like something that we distort from its original form and turn it into something that's ours inherently. Well, you didn't do shit, bro. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's the other thing we have to realize. Like the earth grew it, and there was someone that tendered that that life. So. This is this is I think where we where we where we start to make a move and yeah yeah I mean just it all has to, it, I mean what let's just fucking get away from like high like commodity farming let's get away from that shit we it's pre, again we're in a fucking situation that's proven that these things aren't sustainable they're not ways of life that uh, exactly as you're saying give energy putting energy back into it it's not we're not reciprocating anything you know 
we consume, we consume, we consume, we consume. And then there's a fraction of us that's trying to grow and trying to do the right thing. But that offset is way too fucking dramatic. And the only way that we tilt that back in the favor of the earth is by eliminating these massive fucking, this the agricultural complex in, in America, period, is, is a fucking mess. And I know Mexico is not not too far off because everything's coming here from there. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, it could be looked at a lot like the, the you know, the, the drug trade as well. You know, that's the yeah. America is just give me, give me, give me, give me. And we're not going to give you shit back, you know, and that it's going to, it'll, it'll, it again, you know, it's going to take something extremely traumatic and, you know, we can rah, rah our politics and wave our flags and fucking blue lives matter this. And we can be conservatives. We can be fucking, you know, liberals. We can be whatever we want. We can be anarchists. You know, we could fucking be nihilists. We can do whatever we want, but ultimately none of that shit even matters, dude. Because at the end of the day, we have to turn around and we got to look at our environment and be like, how do we unfuck this? You know, because politics don't fucking matter in that situation. How we feel about shit doesn't matter in that situation. Like how we feel about masks doesn't fucking matter in that situation. All that matters is that like we're doing damage that will never be repaired, you know, and the only way ultimately that we can get out of this situation is by making those right decisions and saying, doing things that have positive environmental impacts, you know, uh, like foraging's kind of one of those things, like earlier you're saying, you know, like fermentation preservation became this like hip shit and, you know, foraging did too. And I think a lot of those things came into play because of restaurant Noma, you know, getting yeah. major recognition and, uh, you know, but like even foraging, like if you're not mindful about what you're doing, you're a detriment to a population of, of plants that is part of an entire ecosystem. And, you know, human beings are so, so good at compartmentalizing shit and making it be, you know, a singular concept as opposed to really looking at the big picture and understanding that there's a whole system that depends on these little things, even these little fucking plants that you're digging out of the ground and, you know, not even thinking about the consequences of it and like food period restaurant industry has to become a more sustainable way, you know, thing. It has to be more sustainable because we can't just keep contributing to the issues. We can't talk about doing people right. And then turning around and just saying fuck off to the environment, you know, it's just not, I mean, if we want to, look at how to solve a lot of our real issues in life. We need to just go immediately to the environment and start fucking fixing that because nothing else matters. Your stupid fucking wars don't matter. Your God doesn't matter. Your boss doesn't matter. Fucking no one matters. You know what I'm saying? Like it has to change. Yeah. And I think that's where the fucking revolution begins, brother. Yeah. (laughs) With us holding that, with us holding that, with us holding our fist in the air for the fucking planet. No. Right. Right. Word, word up, bro. Well, I got to, we've been, we've been at it for like, uh, for like an hour and a half here. I want to, I want to keep, I want to keep going on this, but let's do next time we do this, we're going to do this in person. No, I'm coming up there in July. We're going to fucking cook together. We're going to, we're going to chat. It was really beautiful connecting with you, dude. I really love your mission. I'm happy that we got to, to get to know each other in this format and, and, and have this conversation and share this with people. Um, and and really beautiful, uh, 
please keep the the incredible work that you're doing for your community and for for our fucking community as cooks in general going let everybody know what's up with where you're at where you're cooking at what you've got coming up um what's the next what's the next movement for you guys once the once the doors come off and where everybody can find you on on social media and whatnot um well i'll be cook, cooking at the cafe sebastian inside the kimber museum of contemporary art in kansas city missouri not kansas uh in <laughs> missouri just to be crystal clear not that i have <laughs> I, I have love for kck but uh <laughs> um you know i just gonna be I'm just, for real, man. I, I'm just gonna be there cooking and and trying, trying, trying to represent this region, you know, and trying to share that and expose it to not only the rest of the country but you know the world. How, however, I may do that, and you know, just trying to get some good dinners lined up outside of outside of the country and in other cities with other chefs, uh, just purely for fun and for educational purposes, because uh, I want to learn more about food and culture so I can grow as a person. But, uh, you know, other, other than that, man, that, that's really what's going on. We're just trying to, trying, trying to make shit happen here in Kansas city. So sick. And then we'll, and we'll, social media game, man, I, I'm on, I'm on Instagram and that, and that's it. And you can find me at endless avenues. That's all one word on Instagram. And yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the story, man. I'll put your I'll put your link in the show notes, and we're definitely getting you down to Mexico very soon. In the fall, we'll put something together. Oh, yeah. um, I've got some cool shit going on in Baja, so stick around two minutes after I clip this. Um, but once again, thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate the um, I really appreciate your time, uh, and I really appreciate what you're doing. I hope I hope uh, everybody can get out there and see what you've got going on there as soon as the doors open back up on this fucking madness. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Thank you, brother. <laughs>